Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of God is Not a Theory with Kim Fish. I'm your host, Grant Pemberton. Um, on today's episode, we have uh, yet another uh, wonderful guest joining us from the land down under. Ken, would you like to uh, kick us off and, and introduce our special guest for today? Yeah, I'm really, really delighted to have uh, my very good friend, Jeffrey Fazel from uh, Hillsville, Australia. Although when I met him, he was living in Richmond. Uh, Hillsville is a suburb of Melbourne, almost. It's pretty far out, but it still, I think, counts as a suburb. And uh, Richmond was a suburb of Sydney. Um, Jeffrey's a, a minister from Australia, and we met during uh, my many journeys out there. Uh, we've traveled extensively together, not only in that country, but also in Indonesia. And we've had a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of long hours uh, and very amazing conversations together. We've had a lot of joint discoveries uh, in the realm of the spirit um, as we've pressed into new areas and the Lord's given us understandings and breakthroughs. Um, I know his family. He knows my family. He stayed in my home. I've stayed in his home. Um, at one time or another, he has ministered to every single one of my children and to me. Uh, and I've ministered to him and to his family. So we have all kinds of intertwining. And uh, it's, I don't know, I think, I think, what does it say in Proverbs? Uh, Proverbs 17, 17. Um, a friend loveth at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. So that's what I think of when I think of Jeffrey Fazlin. Uh, glad to have you on the show, my friend. It's been, uh, it's been a long time coming, but I'm glad you're here. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a wonderful journey with you, Ken, and uh, I've loved our time together. And um, I especially love it with what Jesus does when two logs that are lit come together. I, flame just gets good. That's exactly right. Yeah. I, I've often said that when uh, I usually call him Jeff for our listeners, even though he prefers Jeffrey. Um, I'm just too lazy to say his whole name. Uh, uh, but, but when he and I get together, um, there is something really catalytic and unusual that happens. And as I said, we usually come up with uh, new understandings. It is definitely an iron sharpening iron kind of a relationship. And uh, we haven't had a good sit down. And as an Australian would say, a good chin wag uh, since before COVID. We've tried a few times, but busy schedules one way or another all got, got in the way. Um, so this is not only a podcast, it's, it's a reunion. And uh, I will be visiting uh, Jeffrey's church or the one he, I don't know, do, you're overseeing it, but you're not pastoring it. I think it's the right way to say it. No, I, um, I oversight the, the worship team and I run a home group um, and I'm just working with them to help build and grow. All right. So he, when I met him, he was pastoring his congregation in Richmond, and it's actually going to come up uh, as part of our discussion. I, I pre-scripted some of the discussion points, uh, but he was pastoring a church in Richmond, which again, sub suburb of Sydney, Australia. Uh, he's now in Hillsville, and he's taken on more the role of a, a father. Um, you can see the silver yep. beard. And uh, so with that, I think he's contributing and helping substantially with what goes on but he's not lodge and in charge. Yes, that's it. Yeah. So, all right. 
Um, Jeff, let's start with your own history, your own journey. I've always been fascinated by it. Um, you were brought to the Lord in Australia, not in the United States, in the uh, what we would call the Jesus Revival years. And your story really, really parallels that of many people who were caught in that uh, hippie uh, drug culture, subculture. Tell us a little bit about your story, how you came to faith, uh, where it all began. Okay. Um, yeah, I grew up in a in in a significantly dysfunctional home. Things were not great. Um, I had a plan, and I was going to be a builder, carpenter, and that all went south when I was fifteen, and I got introduced to the drug culture, and uh, some people did some pretty horrible things to me, fr and fractured me completely. Um, so I was pretty broken. Uh, I. I met a girl when I was 17, she was 16. Um, one thing led to another, we're going for a walk. And she really wasn't the kind of person I was looking for in my life. And an audible voice spoke to me. And the voice was outside of me and in me, which I can't explain. And that voice said to me, do not let go of this girl, you're going to spend the rest of your life with her. And so I just thought that voice of the yin and yang you know the universe was talking to me so I put my arm around her and I just you're with me and I knew I, I was going to marry this girl and spend the rest of my life with her so I did um when I was 19 I, I married Carol um I was in the drug culture and when I say in the drug culture acid and pills and and I was a middleman for some of the growers so I, I did, was a distributor and um <clears throat> all that fracturing that had gone on in my life, my childhood and things that happened to me through my teen years, uh, I tried to harm my wife when she was 23. Uh, I thought she was dead. She wasn't. Uh, she'd come to and she'd taken off. We had a one-year-old daughter and I was left alone. And really in my life, I'd never experienced love of any kind. It was, you know, the words I love you were never mentioned. I'd never felt a warm embrace like a loving embrace with no physical affection in my family that was healthy and so you know I'd lost the person the only person who'd ever loved me who'd ever been kind to me and uh, so I was pretty distraught I searched for her couldn't find her so I decided I would just was kill myself so I was 23 years old and I'm sitting at my table and just I don't know, I, if I'm depressed, I'm, I'm obviously off my face on drugs. And so I decided, no, nah, I'll just, I'll take what I need to take and just go to sleep and not, not wake up. And just so I'm about to take these pills, my room fills with a cloud. And it's very strange to me, but in one sense, but in another sense, not. Because as a child, I had a lot of supernatural experiences with different kinds of entities and um, so when that filled the room, I knew someone was in the room. I, I felt a presence and I, I knew someone was there. Now, I didn't know it was good or bad or who it was. And so I just, <laughs> sounds weird, but I just spoke to the cloud. I said, who's there? And the cloud spoke back to me. <laughs> it's not just donkeys at all. Um, so the cloud spoke back to me and said this, Jeffrey come home and I'll put your life together the way it was meant to be. 
And I knew instantly it was Jesus. I can't explain how I knew it was him. I just knew it was him. And I said, oh, you're alive. Oh, well, that changes everything. So I guess I'm going to hell, not just into the never-never. And um, so I said, look, the only person I've ever loved is gone, has left me. Um, the only one's ever kind to me. So you bring her home, you can have me do with me whatever you want. So then the cloud disappears and that's it. And so that's done. And so I think, oh, okay, like that then. So I'm just going to take these pills. And then my mind is filled with a very, very clear, like a movie theatre in my brain. And all I could see was my mum standing beside my grave, crying and weeping and blaming herself. And I was standing off in the distance watching her blame herself for my death. And I, I, my conscience was very strong all throughout my life. And so I couldn't live with that. So I went to visit my mum. And uh, I was just going to give her a hug, tell her I loved her, because that had never happened. And so I did that. And while I was there, before I killed, before I took all the pills, and while I was there, the phone rang. And my mum freaked out, of course, because nobody hugged and kissed in my family. And she was worried. And I said, everything's going to be good, Ma. You know, things are going to be fine. I just wanted you to know I loved you. And the phone rang, and I in instinctively just turned and said, grab the phone, Ma, it's Carol. She goes, how do you know it's Carol? I said, just answer the phone, it's Carol. I don't even know how I knew it was Carol. I just, that's just what I said. And it was Carol. And so I got the phone and I said, you need to come home. Now, if you set the scene, you know, I'm off my head on drugs. And uh, I tell my wife, look, you need to come home. God came to the house. Um, I look back and I think, how did she ever believe that for a second? Um, and so she's crying and she's screaming and she's, I can't, I can't. So I covered the phone and at that moment I just said, well, Jesus, if this is real and it's not just in my mind and I'm just going crazy, then now's the time or I guess I'm going to hell. And then uh, I get back on the phone and it's dead quiet, so she's gone. I thought, oh, are you there? She was still there, but she was really peaceful. And she said, um, I said, look, Jesus came and spoke to me. If you come home, I'm going to go to church on Sunday and give my life to Jesus. So um, on her end, she said, the moment that I got on the phone to her the second time, this peace came over her. She knew everything would be fine. So she came home, uh, went and got all my friends together the next day, had a big party because um, I was going to say goodbye. I was leaving my culture. I was walking away from everything. And uh, so it was about 30, 40 of us in this room and we're all kind of, many of us are drug dealers and we were all together just uh, having a party, say goodbye. And then someone asked me where I was going. Someone said, oh, you're going to California? To, you know, that's where the good weed is. I said, no, nah, I'm not going to California. They said, oh, you're going to do the hippie trail in Europe? I said, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not going to do the hippie trail in Europe. They said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to become a Christian. <laughs> so, well, that was the end of my uh, days with those people. So most of them left and a couple stayed and tried to persuade me, tell me I was brainwashed. I told them I, I had been, you know, my brain was getting washed. It needed, it was pretty bad. So, um, and I went to church the next day and it was a horrible experience. Like really horrible. Happy. Explain why flatty. it was horrible. Tell us why. Well, because it was full of happy people. 
I mean, happy, clappy, hankies waving in the air, uh, people with smiles so big they nearly swallowed you. Um, you know, I walked into a four-square church of 600 people. I sat on the back row and it was just, it was horrible for me because it, it was just so foreign. And I, I was agitated. Obviously, I was manifesting pretty hard. And I just wanted to get out of there and Carol just kept patting my arm saying, just a few more minutes, just a few more minutes. I was raging inside. did my best to reject everyone because that's what I did. And then finally at the end, the, the guy was speaking after all his wah, wah, wah is all I heard. And then finally he said, anyone who is ready to give their life to Jesus, would you come to the front? So, went, oh, well, that's why I came. Because I went there looking for the cloud. But I didn't know that, I mean, the cloud was at my house. So I thought I'm waiting for the cloud to turn up in this church, but the cloud didn't turn up. So, I mean, if he said to me right at the start, uh, if you want to give your life to Jesus, come at the front, I would have gone out the front right at the beginning. But uh, I had to wait till the end, a whole hour and a half of whatever that thing is. It's called Pentecostalism. Um, and everyone was straight, happy people who aren't stoned. I never kind of met those. So I go out the front and I kneel down. And all I and I knelt down because I'd watched Joan of Arc on television and in that show, if she didn't kneel down, the angel was gonna cut her head off with his invisible sword. So I thought I'd better do the right thing and kind of go on my knees because that's what you're supposed to do with an angry God, right? <clears throat> so I kneel down and uh, I just go, All right, Jesus, here I am, I'm yours. You kept your end of the deal. I'm keeping mine. And so as a couple of minutes went by and I'm just sitting there just thinking, what are you doing, Jeffrey? What are you doing here? And then it was something just touched me on the head and it, and it was like a liquid. It felt like as if you warmed up some honey and poured it on someone's head. And it was running down the outside of my head and it was running down the inside of my head. <clears throat> and I'm like, and then water just starts trickling down my face from my eyes and I'm not crying it's just tears are pouring off my face and I and I just I touched my face and went oh no I'm having a nervous breakdown <laughs> and uh, that's what I thought I thought I'm having a nervous breakdown I thought and I'm just saying to myself don't do don't cry don't you cry boy don't you cry but man I, and then this came down it got to my neck and it got to my chest and then I start whimpering and then I'm sobbing. And as it hit right here, right where your ribcage joins in the centre, was like painful physically. And I started to wail and scream. And I was lying face down on the floor. I, I would have been wailing and screaming for a good 10 to 15 minutes. I had no idea what was happening. Um, I got up off the floor and the worst person came to me. The assistant pastor's wife. I didn't know who she was then. She was a tall woman, red hair. She had the kind of smile that would break glass. And she walked up to me really close and she tilted her head slightly like lovely Christians do. And she goes, are you okay, sweetheart? And I look at this lady like, like I'm tripping out really. And I'm, lady, I don't know what's going on here. I got to get out of here. And I just ran. And I grabbed Carol off the back seat and took off and went home. I couldn't stop crying. And I cried and I cried and I got home and I couldn't stop crying. 
and I was really worried. I thought, I'm losing it. I'm, I'm, I, I cracked my brain. I fried myself. So I just lied, lay down on the couch. The next thing you know, Carol's crying. and She's looking at me. She's worried. And, and, and so I'm just looking at her and she's going, Jeffrey, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Because she's thinking. Oh, I'm cracking. I'm. She's thinking I'm having a nervous breakdown. Yeah. And she's thinking I'm going to get a knife and start stabbing everything inside. Um, that's what she was thinking. So she was terrified again. I'm lying on the couch and all, I looked at her and I couldn't say anything. I couldn't speak properly. I was just sobbing still, just sobbing and sobbing. And then all I could get out was he loves me. He loves me. You know, I don't understand why. Why would he? How could he? And so I cried and Carol tells me I cried in my sleep. I cried for two weeks every day. Couldn't do anything. I was useless. Uh, Carol tried to wake me up at night because I'm crying in my sleep. And um, I guess I was a Christian. I went through my house and, you know, when you're a good drug dealer, you've got 30, 40 different places you stash dope. So um, I went cleaning it out. I mean, I was finding dope for the next year in all these <laughs> different places. I just flushed it all down the toilet. I got rid of everything and I turned my life over to Jesus completely. A couple of months later, I got filled with the Spirit and uh, that was exciting because now I was accepted as a Pentecostal. <laughs> um, so that was it. And, you know, Carol, you know, I mean, poor girl had been to hell and back. She was with me. She's still with me today. So it was a pretty, uh, it was a pretty big experience for me. When I thought that everyone actually had experience, because I, I, I had no other frame of reference, I just thought everyone walks out the front, meets Jesus and gets totally destroyed. Um. So I went back to church the next Sunday and I went back out the front. I got destroyed again. And I went back out the front again and again and again. And so I went out the front to every altar call twice on a Sunday for, for four years. Um, and I got wrecked every time I walked out the front. Uh, sometimes it took a little longer than others, but I was a pretty broken and pretty messed up individual at the time. So it took about four years for me to... Um, just learn some basic social skills in life and, you know, how to have conversations with people, how to be a half-decent human. So you just said something very profound, and <clears throat> we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, um, but uh, getting people to wholeness, uh, which is really ultimately, I think, almost synonymous, not quite, but almost with getting them to holiness is uh, way beyond the process of salvation. It's way beyond the process of inner healing. It's way beyond the process of deliverance. It certainly could include, uh, well, it has to include the salvation. It nearly yeah. always includes deliverance or inner healing, but there's an integrative and whole wholeness effect that has to be brought into play and created within the human being in order to achieve what, what God's highest purposes are in someone's life. Yeah, I, for me, I was heavily demonized, very heavily demonized. I, yeah. 
both my generational families, um, Scottish, Irish, English, um, Pakistani. And I found out recently, Ken, that on the English side of my family, that my family were the first settlers who built the town of Richmond. Oh, wow. That's interesting. You can't make that up, can you? <laughs> no. So I, I spent a lot of time just lying on the floor in tears, just as a love of God. All it was is just loving me and loving me and loving me and loving me. Um, I, I, the church wasn't real confident I'd remain or stay. They, I, I Later I found out they gave me three months to survive. Um, they didn't think I'd make it. I was pretty extreme, and uh, to say the least. In those first few months, I led all my drug dealer friends to Jesus well over, you know, around 13, 14, 15 people, all my close friends. So th they all came to church. They all got saved. and Not all of them stayed in the church, but but they all came to Jesus. Uh, I was having a pretty good time. I remember you um, telling me when we were first getting to know one another that um, you, the number you said was in that range, 30, 13 to 14, 15, you said most of them didn't, didn't stick it out. And part of it was because the church was not accepting of them. Uh, you and your friends all showed up with long hair. Uh, some people call them flip-flops. Some people call them sandals. Some people call yeah. them thongs. But anyway, that kind of a shoe um shorts and whatnot and the church that you were attending was very much a staid button down kind of church people wore suits and ties it's very reminiscent of the scene from the uh, jesus revolution movie where lonnie walks in and he looks well he looks like a hippie and most of the people in this tiny little church are you know they're very staid button down coat and tie kind of people and it's very clear from the way the movie characterizes it that those kind of people didn't want those other kind of people in their church. I think you had something of an experience along those lines as well, as I recall. Yeah, uh, it was, <clears throat> that's why it was so difficult for me as an experience because it was a fairly conservative Pentecostal church, Foursquare in Australia. Um, <clears throat> yeah, my friends, you know, a lot of them smoked cigarettes. I'd given up smoking cigarettes earlier. But a lot of them smoke cigarettes, you know, and, you know, our language, you know, look, I, I my language changed overnight, like instantly. Well, I'd never been able to have a conversation if it didn't, I guess. Um, but, you know, it wasn't so with the rest of the guys. And it was just a great deal of what I would say today is, you know, legalism or let's say Christian conformity that was required a little hard and fast for new Christians. Yeah. And so, we, you know, we couldn't just shed everything as quick as it felt like they wanted us to um, in order to be accepted. And so, me, I had nowhere to go. I mean, I would have gone too. I, would, I wouldn't have made it. If, but if I left, then Carol would have left me. And so it was for her sake and my child's sake that I stayed. And, uh, and I nutted it out. Um, and yeah, it was hard. And it's, the, I guess the hard thing was, I just, it's such a strange world, the church. I mean, like Christianity or the church, and I'm not talking the ecclesia, I'm talking what we understand, the modern church. I, I, I just, 
I know this, but you know, you can edit this out if you don't want it said, but I just think it's a human construct that's a total failure. And I believe the gospel has always been powerful, and I believe that Jesus is not going to leave this thing to us because we're too stupid to get the thing right. I think that he knows what he's doing. Um, but I, I, I just, more and more and more, as you know, I got saved in 82 that for the last 40 years, I've given my entire life to serve him and to help people. And much of the help has been to recover people from sufferings in Christianity. And, uh, you know, that just never made sense to me is, you know, the, the dysfunctionalism in, in, among, among church life is nearly as bad as my pre-Christian life. I mean, I suffered wounds in Christianity that were at least equal to the worst events that happened to me before I was a Christian. Um, you know, the, the ambition, the selfish ambition, the, you know, people locked into their perception, you know, Jesus coming back tomorrow, the eschatology was pressured everyone to become holy rollers today, um, don't look to your future. Um, you know, those days were pretty tough. Um, yeah. But I conformed. I conformed. And I put the suit on and I did everything they wanted me to do and I felt like a total fraud. So I ripped the suit off and I got back to my T-shirt and jeans and ran into the vineyard. And then I felt like I was home. Yeah. Um, uh, but I found out actually it might not be home because home really is on the other side because that's where it'll be good. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I think that's the right perspective, really. Yeah. In fact, the other day I was um, walking here in Southern California and I was praying while I was walking and I just said, Lord, I'm really longing for home. Yeah. The older yeah. I get, <clears throat> yeah. the more I long for it. Well, that, that they reckon we're on the back end, Ken. Yeah, I reckon. I reckon they have no idea these young guys. <laughs> See, you you couldn't get me to be young again if you gave me all the money in the world. <laughs> Look, I'm. I love. I'm loving the 60s my 60s i'm 64 i i believe i'm going to do the best things i've ever done in my entire life over the next 20 years well they say uh, if uh if things are fixed in your life that your 60s 50s lead to your 60s lead to your 70s lead to your 80s that they are your most productive decades um so i'm i'm looking forward to seeing that played out um yeah. main scene yet but yeah for sure yeah we've got a little bit a little bit to do yet yeah that's right so let me ask you a question um and, and i mean obviously i know you well and so i kind of know the answers to these things but this is really to introduce you to our listeners and to help them understand you a bit given everything you've just said and you've said a lot which by the way we're not going to edit it out um um how on earth did you find your way into the ministry? I mean, what what was it that would have motivated you to go to work uh, for the very institution you just described in the manner that you did? I, I think I was in bondage to a spirit of sadomasochism. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually was, and I got free from that. So. <laughs> um, yeah, look, in my, I was a Christian about a year. 
and uh, well, maybe a bit less than a year. And I was out looking for a job because, you know, I was a horticulturalist before I had to look for a real job. And um, I'll let you read between the lines on that one. <laughs> and so I'm out looking for a job and Jesus spoke to me. And, and, and by the way, I never had trouble hearing the voice of God. It's mm. never been difficult for me until they convinced me I couldn't be hearing God because I was too young of a Christian. Um, and then Jesus helped me work through that. But uh, I was out looking for a job and Jesus said to me, you need help. Your wife is not your problem. And I went, oh, crap. What am I going to do now? So I went home and I, I said, well, you better tell her because you'll never believe me. And so I said to her, you know, Carol, Jesus spoke to me and told me I needed help, that you're not my problem. I'm, I'm the problem. And she looks at me and goes, no, Jeffrey, I know I'm the problem. She said, no, no, I'm just very persuasive. <laughs> You're not the problem. So I got her to call up a guy named Greg Lawson who was frightening to me because uh, every time I looked at him, it's like he had X-ray vision. And I didn't like people looking inside of me because I knew what was in there. Wait a and, minute. Um, Wait a minute. Before you, before you start telling us about Greg, because this is a really important part of your story, um, I want you to talk for a moment or two about how you could hear the voice of God and uh, that was never a problem for you. And what does that sound like when you hear the voice of God? Because for a lot of our listeners, they're struggling to do that on a regular basis. Hey, um, yeah, okay. That's a, man, that's a whole podcast. Isn't it? Um, well, because the way he spoke to me in my lounge room that day, it was warm and inviting. It was, there was nothing condemning. You know, his tone was, come home, Jeffrey, and I'll yeah. put your life together the way it's meant to be. It was an invitation, but it was warm and it was kind. And so I would get up of the morning and I'd fall asleep of the morning in the same position on my knees next to my mattress on the floor. <laughs> and I'll just kneel there and pray in tongues till I fell asleep. And then I'd wake up with dead legs and kind of roll into bed. And then I'd get up in the morning get a coffee, kneel by my bed again and just pray in tongues until I, until I, I had the th thoughts. It, it was like not audible, but it was in my thoughts. So you could say they were thoughts, but there was more than thoughts. And it was always, <clears throat> good morning, Jeffrey. And I go, good morning, Lord. What are we doing today? And he would tell me what he wanted me to do for the day. And so he would say, go and visit such and such. So one day he said, go and visit your friend Ivan and Vicky. So I get there. They just had a brand new baby. And his neighbor was infected. He's screaming and crying. He's only a few days old and had pus all around his navel from the umbilical cord. And I, was, I said to Vicky, I want to tell you what's happened to me. Um, but do you mind if, if, I, if I pray for Eddie, the little boy? And she goes, okay, because she was Greek. And so I went in to pray for Eddie. I took one look at him and the Lord just, these words dropped into my thoughts. My blood is enough for you, Eddie. And so I just spoke the thoughts that came to my mind. I said, Eddie, my, Jesus says my blood is enough for you. And he was instantaneously healed and all the pus was gone and all the red and inflammation was gone. And Vicky came running and now she's a fiery Greek. She came running into the room with a knife because her baby was screaming and he stopped crying. So she thought I'd heard her baby. So she comes running. What did you do to my baby? 
And I said, look, pointing at his navel. And she saw that he was healed and she gave her life to Jesus. And that's kind of what it was like in my early Christian life. And so the voice of God was, because in my thoughts, if it was had the, if it was warm and kind and had those same kind of alluring, I love you, I'm for you, I'm with you, I ran with it. And not everything I heard in those days was Jesus, um, but a lot of it was. And so... I learned to trust my thoughts, even if my thoughts were wrong. I trusted Jesus that he would help me pass the mistakes. Yeah. But two, I was at an advantage. I came out of the drug culture, so I was a pretty high risk taker. Um, so I wasn't afraid too much of um, failing. He loved me. I knew that feeling. When, when I would hear in my thoughts words that were warm, I knew that feeling. I knew what it meant to be loved by him. And I would say to anyone who's struggling to hear the voice of God at all is you need to know John 10 says, you know, my sheep know me and they hear my voice. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are looking for the voice that says this is what you're doing wrong. This is what's wrong with you. Um, Jesus was just always personal very close, very warm. Um, and over the years, I, I have learnt by trial and error. I have a few litmus tests in my life. I test the spirits all the time. I, I still do that. Um, I'm, I make myself accountable to my wife because she's my most brutal critic um, and I love it. Um, and, and I have people in my life that I run anything out of the ordinary past because I, I need to trust that I have friends that will be honest and truthful with me so you don't get the God complex. Because yeah. I've had that one before. It's not a, a, You don't want to meet God and have a God complex. Uh, Hebrews 12 comes into play at that point, and I think if you read it, you'll see what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually believe every Christian hears the voice of God. We have a problem with recognition. Is people not recognised because we, we failed to disciple people um, by walking with someone who hears well enough to say that's God and that's not God. And one of the things I still run across today a lot of is everyone wants everything is awesome. You know, that's the Christianity everybody wants. Um, well, if you want that kind of Christianity, you're never going to know the kingdom because everything isn't awesome. That's why it's a clash of kingdoms. And so people need to be able to get a bit of strength inside so that they can be accountable and take actual genuine criticism and, and you know, be told, you know what, I appreciate that you feel like that was God, but here's why it isn't. So let's have a look at where that's coming from rather than you're wrong, you're no good and, and that kind of thing. And I think the fear of punishment is, is probably the biggest biggest wall to get over for the church for christians is everywhere i go it's hard to meet a christian who isn't afraid of being punished for what they think and believe and so they're afraid to act because if they act in what they think and believe they just feel like they're going to be punished and that's the most common thing the second one is the shame that's attached to people's identity you know they think that jesus has a problem with them well i can tell you this as a fact if he had a problem with you, 
he would have left you to the wolves, but he didn't. He rescued you. So that tells you he don't have a problem with you. He, he's got it covered. Yeah. Good word, man. Good word. All right. Well, I pulled you, uh, I pulled you off of the trajectory you were on. Uh, okay. Talking about Greg Lawson, and he, uh, he, he frightened you. Uh, he seemed to have, like, laser vision. Um, tell us about Greg Lawson and what he did in your life. Um, yeah, so I, I got Carol to call him. I went around to his house. I knocked on the front door. From where I was standing, I was knocking on the front door of the Adams family house, that big creepy castle. <laughs> the door creaked slowly as the door opened and lurched, met me at the door. Um, and I stood there like a, a two-foot-tall human looking up into the eyes of this man who was supposedly going to help me, and I was terrified. <laughs> And he looked down at me, and he's only a couple inches taller than me, but he looked down at me and he goes, how can I help you, Jeffrey? No, he, goes, he said, oh, what can I do for you? And I looked down and he said, I need help. You know, my voice is quivering a bit. He goes, come in. But I didn't hear come in. I hear, ooh, come in. You know, <laughs> I was so scared. <laughs> and so we walk in, and he takes me straight upstairs to townhouse, you know, a, a two-story villa type thing so he takes you straight up the stairs to the master to his bedroom now i'm not meaning anything by this is just how it was for me world i came out of um this guy touches me i'm gonna end him right there in that room and that's all i'm thinking i mean he's walked me upstairs and into a bedroom i'm thinking hang on don't do it you you you, you cross a line man i'm gonna i'm gonna you're gone I could take you. <laughs> so that's all that's in my mind. And so he pulls out a chair and he sits me in a chair and he sits in another chair and he says, well, if I'm going to help you, you're going to have to trust me. And I said, yeah, no problem. And he said it again. He said, well, you're going to need to trust me. And I went, yeah, yeah well, no problem. <laughs> he goes, okay. then." And so he thinks a bit and he goes, so you do realize, and he goes, look, I really want to help you, but you're going to need to trust me. So I looked him right in the eye and I said, listen, Jesus sent me here. Him I trust. Humans I don't. But because he sent me here, he must trust you. So I trust you. He goes, oh, okay. So Greg pulls out a piece of paper and starts asking me questions. And we get about 25 questions. And these are questions on have you ever been here, done that. <coughs> so after the first 25 questions, he pauses and says, you've done all of this. You've said yes to everything. I said, yeah. And he said, you've done all of these things. Said, yeah. And he kind of strokes his chin a little. And he goes back, which he, his, that's his move, stroking the chin. So he goes back to his list and he keeps asking questions. He gets about 60 questions in. And he pauses again, he puts his pad down and he goes, You've done all of this. Yeah. Okay, tell me about this one. So I start telling him, and he goes, oh, stop, stop, stop. He starts to realise that, you know, I'm not lying. I, I've... So I said to him, I said, hasn't everyone done all of this? <laughs> he looks at me and goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> I went, oh. 
but you know, I I had no idea. I thought, you know, I lived in the darkness. Right? So he goes, okay, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, I'm going to get you to renounce something. And as you renounce it, is it okay if I just, you know, touch you here, right there, just in, in just the basement. Oh, you might know, just touch me on the head like that. I said, sure, you could do that. And all I'm thinking is, you touch me anywhere else, I'm going to hurt you. And in true, that's just what my mind was like at the time. And so I, I remember, you know, as he started doing that, and then he would, he just said to me, you know, as he was doing that, he just go, I'd renounce something. He says, just take a deep breath. And I take a deep breath and just sit and just breathe out when you feel comfortable to. And as I'd breathe out, he just touched me and I could feel something rise and leave me. And then at one point he, you know, I renounced witchcraft. He said to me, renounce it. I went to renounce witchcraft. And then I started cursing him in very, very colorful language in, in a voice that sounded like a woman's voice. And uh, so I had some pretty strong manifestations during that time. Um, but at the end of it, you know, he asked me, how are you feeling? I said, well, I don't know. I'm just quiet. And I, I feel really light, like strangely quiet. <clears throat> said, okay, so he got me to stand up, and then he just reached out and touched me on the forehead, and I just, bang, hit the floor. Except, you know, in modern terms, people talk about being slain in the spirit. I wasn't slain in the spirit. I was unconscious. Mm-hmm. Like, when he touched me, I went completely out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I would, would have been on the floor for well over an hour, <coughs> and I woke up just as he came back into the room because he'd, he'd left the room. And so as, you, as the door opened, I opened my eyes and he helped me up and he goes, are you okay? And I looked at him and just said, uh, I don't know. So we started walking down the stairs and halfway down the stairs there was a hanging pot plant, just a, one that's pretty generic and most people have these kind of pot plants hanging in a basket, indoor plant. Hang on, Jeff, stopped- one second here, yeah. just one second, this is quick. Uh, yeah. You're calling it a pot plant which I know oh, what that okay. means because I've traveled in Australia. Okay. This man was not growing cannabis in his house. <laughs> Just because the Americans won't get that immediately. <laughs> yeah, we call a pot plant a indoor plant that is in a indoor pot. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So I stop halfway down the stairs and I'm reaching out and start touching this plant and tears is running down my face and I'm crying. And he looked upstairs and he goes, are you okay? What's, what's going on? I said, oh, nothing. I just never noticed how beautiful plants were before. And he kind of looked really puzzled. And he said, okay, well, come on down. So I get to the bottom of the stairs, and as I round the corner, the kitchen is straight in front, and to the left is the lounge room. And as I round the corner, I stick my head around the corner, and I just, I, I'm shocked. And I jump back into the stairwell, and uh, he's standing out there, and he's going, come on out. I go, no, 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 come in here. He said, come on out. It's okay. I said, no, no, come here. And so he comes back into the cell and goes, what's going on? And I looked at him like, that that girl in your lounge room? He goes, yes. I said, am I married? I said, yeah, you are. I said, I don't know her. Is that name Carol? He goes, uh oh. And I said, Do I have a child? I said, Yeah, you do. 
said, her name Amy. He said, yeah, she is. And he goes, uh, you better come out here. So he grabs me by the hands. Excuse me. Grabbed me by the hands and he led me out into the lounge room and he sat me on a couch. <clears throat> I couldn't even look at her. I was, you know, I sat on my legs like a little kid in kindergarten, my hands between my knees, just staring straight ahead. <clears throat> there was nothing in my head, like blank, like nothing, not a sound, not a thought, just blank. And my feelings, I wasn't racing. There was nothing pumping here. It was just quiet, like almost like everything was dead. And he said to me, would you like some ice cream? And I didn't know what ice cream was. I, so I, I said, hang on a sec. And so I start looking up into my head with my eyes and I'm looking for a thought that would tell me if I liked ice cream. And so my, I'm kind of like, um, if you can imagine a little man running around all these places in my head trying to find a thought. <laughs> so I find this thought. And this thought is this, mm, ice cream, yum. So I actually say, mm, ice cream, yum. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm thinking, am I okay? <clears throat> so he gets me this ice cream and I take a spoon of it and I put it in my mouth and it was just like the scene out of Harry Met Sally. <laughs> I mean, I was like, oh, my God, what, oh, this is, oh, where do you get this ice cream? And he said, well, it's just no frills of ice cream, like a black and white supermarket brand. I said, well, it's the best ice cream ever. To this day, my favourite food on earth is ice cream because every time I put any ice cream in my mouth, I remember that moment. And so Greg turned to Carol and said, I think you're going to have to get to know this guy all over again. And so we went home. Um, I was set free from what I would say was in excess of 80 demons, probably more around 100 or so in that first setting. I went home and I was a totally different person. Now, I've had memory recall, but still I have great patches of memory from my past that I just don't have. Yeah, And Jesus did something very gracious for me. Um, I was a very, very, very tormented human. Um, I never really made choices about who I was and what I did. I always had voices. I always was driven. And, and so I, I would act without thought my whole life. And now I couldn't even string a sentence together. And so over the next few weeks, Carol was always taken aback because she didn't know she's married to this guy as a child to him and she didn't know me from a bar of soap and I don't know her. And so we had to build a marriage from there. Um, I must say I, I was a better human after that. <laughs> um, and that set the course for me in regard to what I wanted to do in life. You know, the the first few years of the really deep healing that I was getting and Greg didn't just minister to me in the area of deliverance. You know, I would call Greg up and I go, you know, I'm really struggling with something. Go, He would just say to me, well, what is this? What does the scripture say? I go, I don't know. You just tell me, you know, the scripture. I don't He go, no, you go and read it. So he pushed me into the scripture all the time. So I became a, 
a, a ferocious student of the New Testament. Yeah. And, um, and then he'd, he'd tell me to pray. So I'd pray and sometimes I'd fast and then I'd read the scripture and then I'd go back to him. I go, oh, I, don't, I just don't. And really what he was doing was just getting me to put the yards in. Because uh, yep. I'd go to him and, and when I'd see him, he would just go, yeah, it's okay, Jeffrey. I know what it is. And he was like the guy would read my mail like he was living inside my head. And so we go, it's this. And as soon as he would say, boom, the power got it hit me and I'd either hit the floor. Sometimes fly backwards, take out a row or two of chairs. Um, or he would, he would walk up to me and just put his arms around me and put my head right here on his shoulder and just hold me. And as he's rocking me, the spirit of God would just completely gut me with his love. And, and so I became a very affectionate Christian as well at that time, at a time where not too many people were really that affectionate. And so it was, you know, Greg did most of the ministry in those first four years of my Christian life with me. There were others, you know, people who helped me. with was six people. Someone helped me to adjust socially. Someone always spoke these encouraging words to me, like, you know, tell me I was a really nice guy when they had no idea. I thought that was a nice one. <laughs> um, you know, people that took me out on picnics and, you know, bought food for me and bought me a coffee. You know, no one had ever done things like that for me in my life. So there were a group of people around me that helped rebuild me, if you like. Right. I considered that Jesus gave them a clean canvas and they turned me into a super Pentecostal. And some of it was good. And I, I maintain the things that, that, Tremendous value in, in the Word of Faith movement, but I'm not a Word of Faith person, but there is truth and there's reality in the Word of Faith movement that every Christian should have today. Not everything, you know, obviously, you know, there's pollutions in everything. And so I took the best of what I, what I was offered and the best that I, I got in that place was my, my worship life was deep and intimate. Um, so I was close to Jesus in worship. Um, I was in love. Um, the ministry for me of deliverance and restoring the brokennesses of my life started to make me whole. And so I started to become fruitful on the back of that in other people's lives and, and helping other people get free. Um, I was a year in Christianity and John Holland, who was uh, at the time the uh, head of Foursquare four in America, came to the church we were in because at that time there were two big churches in Sydney. One was CLC Frank Houston's church and the other one was Calvary Chapel in the Western suburbs. And so. Hang on, Jeff, hang on. I want to clarify something for our U S listeners. The Calvary Chapel he's referring to is not associated with the Calvary Chapel movement in the United States, which you all saw in the Jesus revolution movie and where Lonnie Frisbee was ministering. It's the same name totally different movement yeah uh, yeah it's if you want to associate it associated with jack hayford yeah hey, so, so can yeah can i just interject here some questions to kind of go back to sure. um that was an amazing story and and i just want to kind of pull some things out of that if if you don't mind sure. yeah, no, um, just for some clarity and, and all of that so just so i know that i we're i'm tracking um as someone who hasn't experienced uh, some of the things that you're talking about to that level, um, 
when you were having that experience in the bedroom and the 80 or a hundred um, spirits came out of you and, uh, and all of that stuff happened. Um, then you went out. Do you have any, any memory of what happened when you went out, out, not slain in the spirit, but you were just unconscious? None. Uh, None. Okay. And so then I'm just, again, just kind of piecing this together. You wake up and I guess what you're saying is that you were literally born again and just sort of all of the past uh, that had comprised your subconscious and had, had comprised your memories. There was, it was so intertwined with uh, the works of darkness, with the spirits that were tormenting you with all of that sort of stuff. And so essentially you were back to uh, tabula rosa. You were, you were sort of a clean slate. And, and is yep. that why you had you? So, and you literally had no memory of, of the, of the person being your wife and, um, and all of that sort of, yeah. Yeah. And what, what do you think that, I mean, you know, just for those that are sitting out here hearing this for the first time with me, um, you know, can you kind of speak to that a little bit more? And, and, um, yeah, I, I realize it's a, it's a really bizarre story. Um, but, you know, all I can say is it is what it is. He, he touched me on the forehead. I hit the floor. I have, I wasn't there. I, I you know, it was like I was asleep or unconscious. Um, I woke up just as he came back in the room. My mind was empty until I saw Carol. When I saw her, I was frightened because there was something in me that knew I'd married her, and then after I had that thought, then I her name came up in my head, but I, I could not remember anything at all. Um, it was just nothing. And so when I got home, I was just quiet for weeks, like quiet. And Ken will tell you, I ain't a quiet person, um, but I was quiet. And it, it, I, I didn't – I had to wait for my – some thoughts to come up to even like I'd walk in the kitchen and go, okay, I, 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 I think I want a coffee. So it would take me like 20 minutes to make a coffee because I got to think about how, what I'm doing. Um, so for the first time in my life, I could actually think about what I was doing mm. and I could actually contemplate making a choice. Because what, what you said before, just again to kind of push the, the clarifying point, you were so driven by by these voices in your head, by by the spirits that were um, entangled in you, that you really never had the opportunity to to make a decision and to think about what it is that you want, all of that sort of thing. Is that is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I like I've had a lot of deliverance since then. Um, you know, I played around in just about everything there is to play around in. And, you know, there, there, there is deeper darkness than Christians really want to acknowledge, much deeper, because I've been there. Mm-hmm. And when you come out of deep darkness, uh, you, you tend to like the light a lot. And so um, I think what Jesus did for me was he was saving me years. Mm-hmm. And even though it took me, I'd say, a good 10 years, to come to a semblance of wholeness. And I was getting a lot of ministry constantly during that time. Um, 
you know, Carol will sometimes say to me, hey, do you remember this? And I look, I look at her and I'm a little bit sad, but not sad. And I'll, I'll say to her, yeah, I'm sorry, I don't. Can tell me, talk to me. So she'll tell me about something with my kids or, you know, and I've had some of my own memory recall. And what I think that is, is just Jesus was just saving me from probably 20 years of Christian process because I wouldn't have survived. I would not have made it if I went through general Christian process. I needed something far more radical. And so Jesus did something very radical for me. Um, why, why would you why would you say you wouldn't survive? I'm interested to hear what, like oh Christianity was too hard look look I did every, I've done everything they asked me to be to do as a Christian and it still wasn't good enough. You never felt loved you never felt fully accepted. It was always some new standard that you had to rise to in order to be accepted. Uh, you, you had so many hoops you had to jump through to be a part of anything um you know, after John Holland spoke, I knew that God had called me to plant churches and they were never going to let me do that. And I'd only been a Christian one year and I knew that my life was going to take me down a course to plant churches and cast out demons and preach to masses. I don't know how I knew that. I just knew it. Um, but I, I, when I committed to Jesus, see, I was an, <laughs> oh, no, these things sound funny, but I was an honest drug dealer. Right. Yeah. If you can imagine it at all. See, if I said I'm going to do something, I would do it. When I made the deal with Jesus, I kept my end of the bargain. And I've never turned my back on him. And I promised him I'd always do what he asked me to do if he would take care of me and my family. And he promised me to take care of my family. And he has. So I promised I'd always do what I was told. And the one thing that I learned and it was committed to and sold out to as a very young Christian was, I'm going to know the voice of my master and I'm going to obey him no matter what it takes so that he can do what he needs to do in and through my life because that's the promise I made. And if he could do something good, well, thank you. Um, if I just get to go to heaven, thank you. I got my wife back. I got my kids. I now have four children. I have 11 grandchildren. Uh, and I feel like the richest man on earth. Uh, my life is life has been wonderful. Um, why me? I I don't know. I I don't know. Um, why pick me? Uh, he's asked me to do things and given me things to do. Though you're kidding. You, really, you're kidding. You sent me to a nation where everything you put in your mouth burns your face off. Um, <laughs> and I, I've seen I, I've seen things that have never been written about. Um, incredible miracles and signs and wonders and tens of thousands of people coming to Christ. And, you know, um, and many, many more healings than you can imagine. Um, but, you know, I, I, I wasn't interested in making a fanfare about it. It's just, you know, Jesus wants to do what Jesus wants to do. He wants to love people. And he, I, he did the most loving thing he could to me was erase my brain. And if you like, um, cherry pick what I got to remember for me. Because, uh, you know, I'm comfortable with the title idiotus. You know, uh, John used to say, you know, he was a fool for Christ. So I would say, yeah, I'm his idiotus. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Jeffrey, one of the things that you said, uh, and I've, again, I know your story, but one of the things you said a little back in this conversation was um, that Greg Lawson, you know, he held you. And I thought it was, I thought it's interesting, especially given what you've just said about um, what the church culture was that you were encountering, because what the Lord did was he sent you somebody who discipled you, maybe not so much through propositional truth or intellectual yeah. content, but by restoring your soul, by restoring your emotions, and by just genuinely showing you love and affection. Yeah, that's exactly who Greg was in my life. He, you know, he was a father, a brother, a mentor. Um, you know, I would ask him questions. He would give me some answers, but mostly push me to the scriptures to search out uh, Jesus and to search out answers. And, um, you know, he taught me to pray. Greg was, Greg was a praying man. Mm. You know, if you've ever read, you know, read Reese Howe's Intercessor, um, you know, Reese Howe was a praying man. And, right. you know, Greg was like that. He was a real praying man. Like today, um, he's, you know, he he is, he is, has cancer. He's done well. Um, he looks like he's going home to heaven very soon, and he spends all his time praying for me, and praying for you, and praying for everybody else. But that's his life. Um, you know, I would have called Greg, you know, a prophet out of his time. He didn't, I don't do titles. We tend not to do titles. Um, but, you know, he was just somebody who loved me like Jesus loved me. Yeah. And yeah. rather than telling me all the things that were no good about me or what my sin was, he would just minister to the causes. And I learned that from him. I, I, you know, one of the things Jesus is very clear with me was Jeffrey always go to the genesis of the problem. Mm -hmm. And so my life has been, you know, when I'm doing ministry, I, I really like, as I know you do, Ken, you really like to spend the time with people because you move with compassion for their suffering. And, you know, I learned a lot from you, Ken. I, you know, I've never seen anyone spend so much time with someone with so much, with such a heart full of care that you spend hours just wanting to get them free. I mean, you outlast me in that regard. I just don't have the energy to go at that but no I learned that from you and and you know and it was what I'd learned but you know and that's the thing that I value most highly is you know Jesus you know Jesus took his time to step aside from whatever he was doing for me so I wanted to do that for the world and for the populace around me and for the people I would meet yeah um so, yeah, I learned from Greg. He modelled something for me. And sometimes people say to me, oh, are you just imitating Greg Lawson? And I go, yeah, well, it's better than imitating you because he's got something. <laughs> now, there is a basilism um, if I've ever heard one. <laughs> well, you know, those kind of statements have always got me in a little bit of trouble, as you know, Ken. Um, <laughs> that's why I questioned the editing. Um, but, you know, it's just the truth, right? It's... You know, what are you ragging on me for? Just let me have a go. And I'll, And the other thing is, I'm a practitioner. So, you know, I love, 
you know, I'm a New Testament guy. I, I, it's not that I don't like the Old Testament. I, I love the Old Testament, but I'm a New Covenant Christian. So I live in the covenant of a crucified and resurrected Christ, a covenant he made. I didn't make. He made a covenant with my father and invited me into a marriage by which I came to inherit all things. I mean, that's a good deal. I mean, not that I'm a gold digger, but he made the offer. Right. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, he just reached out his hand and he betrothed me to himself. And, and so I entered into a covenant that I had to do nothing to enter into. Um, and so for me, that life was modelled for me in practice with Greg, in, in, in loving people and focusing on what needed what a person needed to be able to be free to be themselves. Yeah. And you said something earlier about wholeness and holiness. I remember one of the early lessons with Greg was something we were learning from Jack Hayford, that integrity really is the same as wholeness. Mm. And holiness and wholeness or integrity are like three things in the same basket. And, and that always stuck with me. And so I've always believed in wholeness for people. And so I worked very hard. I, I prayed a lot. I fasted a lot. And I'm not saying that was the answer. I, I, I just did whatever I could do. Um, if this would work, I'll, I'll have a go at it. So I would read, you know, I was an avid reader of Kenneth Hagin, who I, I liked his teaching, and many others. And everything I read, I practiced. Because I, I, I just read a verse in the New Testament that says, be ye not hearers only, but be ye doers. So all the trouble I got in in Christianity was because I was a practitioner, not because I was stupid or rebellious. I did everything I was told to do. They told me I'm not allowed to pray for people. You know, I, I didn't. I, so long as I was, wasn't in church, I was okay. <laughs> so... But I was a practitioner. You know, how can you ask me, you'd be happy for me to lead people to Christ, but you're not happy for me to pray for their healing. I don't get it. And so in my early Christianity, I saw a lot of miraculous healing because I was unhinged. I, I was, you know, I wasn't, you know, this is what you do. I'm, I'm a Christian now. So I meet someone, they're suffering sickness. I pray for them, they get healed. What's, what's, what's the big deal? And, and then I find out in Christianity that apparently Jesus doesn't want to heal everybody. Um, so they were my clashes as I found a Jesus who, sorry for those who have a different position, but my position is I tend to be a kingdom now person. That, you know, the kingdom has come and problems on our end and so we've got some things to learn and the best way to learn is study the book, do the book. Do the book, does it work? Back to the book. Right? Still doesn't work? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. So I put myself at the feet of Jesus, go, your book doesn't work. And we go, yeah, the book's fine. you got blinkers on. What do you mean? Well, they taught you this. So Jesus yep. would take me through the scripture personally. Yep. And here we go, here's what you were taught, read it again. Read it again, read it again. And as I'm reading it again and again, suddenly it would open. You just go, there's your answer. I'm going, oh, boy, how many of these have I got? So I went through years of purging of Christian right. theology. Um, but, again, being a practitioner means 
<coughs> for me is I'm a presence-based person. So if you want me to sit through a worship session, that's a, just a nice time singing songs and getting goosebumps. Yeah, I, I'm not interested. You know, if I'm going to sit in a worship session, I'm going to I'm going to find Jesus. If I'm going to sit in a church and listen to preaching, I'm going to find Jesus in one of the words coming out of your mouth. I, I'm looking for Jesus. I'm not looking for acceptance among people. I'm I'm looking for Jesus because I'm loved in Jesus. I'm accepted in the beloved. Um, I'm valued by him. I mean, I, he thinks I'm awesome. I, I beg to differ, but he thinks I am. Um, so they're things that for me is uh, the Jesus I found never held the door closed, right? Never said, you know, not now, Jeffrey, you know, maybe a bit later. He, he never put me off. He never said those things to me if I needed something. Uh, sometimes I'd have to press through my own idealisms and my own theologies to find him, but I learnt to wait on his presence. I, went, I shut myself in my room and I'd been there for hours. Just I'd pray in tongues for a while, I'd read a bit of scripture, and then I'd sometimes just lie there in silence. And I would keep going back there until he met me. And, and so while I got a lot of ministry in church and a lot of help, I was having as much go on in my private life with Jesus as I was in church life. So I didn't build a Christianity around church. I built a Christianity around a person. Yeah. And so my entire life has been centered on, you see, you know me, Ken, if I go a week without the presence of Jesus around me, I'm, I'm fit to be tied. I, I can't live without his presence. It literally sustains my sanity, if you like. In life, because I don't see other, any other reason to do this. Sorry, I'm proud. So, for our listeners, I just want to say, you probably have not heard many people talk in this honest and raw of a fashion about Christianity, their relationship with Jesus, and the distinctions <laughs> that that presents versus perhaps what you encounter in church life. But um, this man that's on our show right now, I've, 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 well, I, I want to make sure this comes off the right way. I've lived in his home for weeks at a time. So I've lived with him, but not in the, the lurid sense that we immediately attach to things today. Um, I've traveled with him for weeks at a time. And what you are experiencing is the unfiltered Jeffrey Fazel. And there's only one, but I'll tell you what. <laughs> um, I learned a lot from this man. A lot. And I'm really grateful that, uh, that the Lord put you on the earth. I'm grateful he took you through what he took you through. And uh, I'm really proud to introduce you to my friends. I love there, aren't you, many people. <laughs> there aren't too many people that are as straight up the middle honest about these matters of what is real spirituality than you. Okay, let me let me clarify something too with church, just so that's clear to you listeners. I love the church. I know you do. I I I walked away from a movement because I would have split it. 
because things are intolerable to me and I will never do anything in, in, in any way, in my understanding, to hurt his bride. Um, I love the church. I've spent my whole Christian life. I've never backslidden. I've never burned out. I've had questionable moments. Um, <laughs> not saying that I still don't. Um, but I love the church. I'm in the church today. I have a pastor and uh, I serve them deeply and diligently. I work tirelessly to help them and their team be fruitful and functional in the kingdom. <clears throat> and that's all I do with my life is I spend my life just trying to help people find Jesus. Because my commission from him was, Jeffrey, love them and bring them to me. Yeah. And that's been it. And, uh, and, and to Ken, you know, I had almost given up hope. And then when, you know, you came out, we brought you out and things began to move. I thought, oh, there are others. And I wasn't trying to be haughty or exclusive or anything, but it was just, you know, I didn't, I can't explain why he's made me the person I am. I've been against the grain a lot, but again, Look, if you're going to walk with Jesus, you've got to say no to things that are not Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, the, the human problem is we just love to corrupt. We just love it. And, and you know, we, we don't even realise how much we love it. We just we love, we love the light and the stage and we want the position and we want, we want the Emmy and we want the Grammy and we want, you know, and it's like, and we can't see how much it's killing us. And I, I look at it, and I've always looked at it this way, and you know that, Ken, that, you know, I want to help people. But the guardians are strong. Yeah. You know, the guardians are strong. And, and you know, like a good government, you know, it, it, it's like, are we really doing what's best for the people? Yeah. Or are we doing what's best for the organisation? And I'm not against organisation. I, I, I understand the great tree of the kingdom of life and every denomination is a part of it. But, but I, all I keep finding is Christians everywhere are starving for love. They're desperate for healing. And the brokennesses they carry around inside of them are being dismissed over and over and over. And somewhere... You know, I, I love the saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? But then let's say the other side of it, well, if it is broke, well, someone needs to address the elephant in the room. Yep. Not to condemn. I'm not into that. But, you know, if, if we want this, if we really want what we believe is coming, then we need to have a people ready. And if people ready are not going to be church attenders, they're people that are going to follow Jesus anywhere, so they'll be in church. And, and that's what we need. That's what we're looking for. And, you know, maybe, you know, some call me old school. I don't know. Old, I didn't like old school much either. <laughs> so I, I, I tried Christianity, and I tried it hard and diligently, and I failed at it. I, I, I'm not a great Christian. I will say this, I love Jesus and I'll do anything he tells me to do, anything. 
I, 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 I like others have betrayed him and disappointed him in different things in my life. And I, I made a, a deep promise to him that I would never marginalise him and I would never compromise him again. And if he wanted to come into a room and he wanted to turn those people inside out and upside down and back to front, he could do it if he wanted to. But if he didn't want to do anything in a room, then I'd sit on my backside and I would do nothing. Because um, I think he's, I think he has the solution. And, and I, 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 I like John the Baptist's position. He must increase and I must decrease. And I'm okay with the decrease. I, I don't mind it really. You know, I'd be happy to just plot around in the shadows and work unnoticed because <clears throat> I can get a lot done. Um, but I realised that, you know, this is a season where we need some significant change. And I, I, the Lord, I'll say this to you, Ken, I'm not sure this wants to go on there, but a few weeks ago I was on holidays, the best holiday I've had in my life, and the last week of holidays, Holy Spirit came on me and released something inside of me. And the best thing I could say is he released the containment field that I created within myself to protect me from Christian abuse. Mm. Now, does that mean all Christianity is abusive? No, it's, I'm not talking about, you know, all weird, horrible things. I'm talking about, you know, if, if I'm marginalised or judged, I withdraw from people because I'll hurt somebody. And I would rather be alone than hurt other people. And I'll go away and resolve my own heart and then come back. And, and so I put a containment field inside myself, um, particularly with the West. See, in, in Indo, what you've seen with me is I'm, I'm unfettered, you know, when I'm loose there because I'm the example of an Australian, so they all think everyone's lying. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I, I haven't been unfettered um, among Western culture because of the level of judgment and criticism and slander has been horrific just because you believe that a Christian can have a demon, um, just because you act, you know, I think that Matthew 28 is not an evangelistic commission. I think it's something far greater and deeper. I mean, you get beat up over things like that. You're like, because you think differently, you have a different view. Um, I don't care what your view is. Um, you know, if you think Satan is God, well, I'd like to sit and talk to you because I'm going to change your mind. Um, I'm, I'm okay with you to believe what you believe, uh, but it, that doesn't seem very common that people are okay to let people believe what they believe and look at fruit. And, and so my, I'd like to plead with the church you know, lower the price of failure. Like really lower it to zero. And treat failure in a person as an opportunity for them to be made wholesome more and to grow. And learn to honour each other so that the gift of God in us can be prolific. Because I think that if... You know, the one thing that you and I, you know, Ken and I are very different people, um, completely different worlds, some similarities. 
but I love Ken. And when I met Ken, my first choice was to honour Ken. And I, I didn't honour Ken because he's the best human on the planet. He's my brother. Jesus is my big brother. This is a family. And so as I honoured Ken and my brother, I got the best that Ken had to offer. And I like that. And then Ken honoured me in return and Ken got the best that was in me. I think Ken has seen the worst in me. He doesn't like that part of it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they, I just want to clarify. I love the church. But, yep. you know, let's call the spade a spade so we can stop politicising the rubbish and stop running around condemning the transgenders and stop running around condemning the gays and stop running around condemning anyone. I mean, I'd like to remind everyone of John 3.17. Yeah, it's just after John 3.16. I know they don't hold this one up at the Olympics. <clears throat> but he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would have life and that life abundant. And so right after God so loved the world is he didn't come to condemn. And so what does the world know us for? Or condemning. And that's why our people were sitting in meetings every day, hoping that they can get through a week without being condemned for breathing. And not everyone's like that, but it's out there. It's in the system. It's worldwide. And um, I, I still hold them. You know, Ken, my one message to the church everywhere I've been has been this. Love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. And that love was very sacrificial and cost something. And I, I've had to learn how to love people with the love Jesus has for me, not the way I feel. Because sometimes I feel like, well, sometimes can you know how I feel <laughs> about people <laughs> and certain people. And it's okay to feel that, but I don't live out of it. I live out of the love and the kindness and, and the acceptance that he's given me. I stand in that place and I live from that platform. And I, I believe that if actually we, we, can, we practice this, I think there will be no, no kind of miracle, no kind of signs and wonders that the whole church won't see. Because I, I, I found that all the miracle working power of God hinges on the love of God. Well, that right there is a very pregnant statement. Um, I'll tell you what, I, Jeff, I, what I want to do here. Um, this is a lengthy podcast, and uh, a lot of our people listen to these podcasts as they're doing housework or driving around or whatever they're doing. Um, I had a bunch more I wanted to discuss with you. So I think what I'd like to do is stop here, and yeah. we'll have part two of this podcast um, so people can hear some more about you. Cause I, again, I had some other things I wanted to discuss with you, yeah. but, okay. um, but, but I think that's a very powerful statement right there that, uh, that, that linkage between love and miracles. And I don't think we, I don't think we think deeply enough about that. It's easy to lose it in the hubbub of life and kind of in the direction of what you've been sharing sometimes in the hurry scurry of church life too. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, 
look, I love the anointing. You know, I love the fire. You know, I love being on the coal face with a bazooka in my hand and blowing the room to bits, you know, in a spiritual manner. Let's right. be clear. You've got to remember I'm talking to Americans. <laughs> <laughs> we don't actually have bazookas here. <laughs> well, we actually have listeners all over the world, but we do have a lot of Americans who listen to this podcast. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, and we can't do our job without all that. But, you know, faith works by love. Yeah. And, you know, faith is, as Keith Green spouted in one of his songs, faith is the realm he'll come in. And so I think that love inspires faith. Love inspires hope and hope inspires faith. And, and so if we, if we learn to love, if we look at Jesus, and we see a God who loves us, we're inspired by hope inside of us. You can't look at Jesus and not hope. And the moment you hope, faith is a substance of things hoped for. And so we look at him and we can see that he loves me. I now have hope. And now I'm inspired to believe in something better and something greater. Yeah. I think that's the core of the kingdom right there. Anyway. Well, I, I, I agree, Ken. Let's wrap this one for part one. And, uh, and for those of you listening, next week, we will be back here uh, for part two. Uh, I have a million questions that I'm going to try to ask for all of you all that are listening as well. Uh, because yeah. both of us, me and most of the audience, are getting to know um, uh, you, Jeff. And so I'm, I'm excited to... Uh, to, to dive in and, and um, learn a little bit more about you. So uh, if, if everyone's good with that, we'll, we'll close here and we want to okay. thank everyone for, for listening and we'll be right back here next week uh, with part two of uh, what is turning out to be just an awesome, exciting interview. So thanks for listening. We'll see you right back here next week. Thank you. recently updated the Orbis Ministries app with Ken's free teaching archive. You can click on the link in the description of this podcast to download today.